Well, welcome to another episode of The Unhappy Christian. My name is Dr. Rick Peterson. I am your host for this series of podcasts. We are early in this series of podcasts, and what we're doing here for now is laying a good foundation as to what this podcast is all about. Uh, we want to lay a foundation of, of addressing the issues that we're concerned about in this uh, podcast, and, and then we'll hopefully be adding some guests We'll make it a little more conversational so that you're not, not always just listening to me. But for now, we'll be, uh, I'll be addressing the issues that uh, cause us to do this podcast series, that motivated us to do it. And I can say right up front that what those issues are is the need to recover joyful spirituality and move out of the wilderness of counterfeit Christianity, move out of the wilderness of a toxic spirituality, and get back to the voice of our shepherd and a healthy, life-giving spirituality, a healthy, life-giving Christian faith. Now, I want to assure you that I'm, I'm not an angry guy. Uh, this is not a podcast that is designed to give me a platform to rant. Uh, I have no rant in me. Uh, I do, I am a grieving Christian, however. I do grieve the state of the church in Western Christianity. And I grieve it because it robs God of his image. It robs God of his glory. And this current state of Christianity in Western culture uh, also destroys lives, quite frankly. It, it is, is creating great problems for people. It's a source of great unhappiness. And thus, the title of this podcast, The Unhappy Christian. So, joining me today, I assume you're attracted to the title, in fact, The Unhappy Christian, which I would suspect means that you have some unhappiness in your life, or you're close to someone who does, and that unhappiness is tied to their present Christian experience. And I understand so we started this series of podcasts to give you a point of contact, to give you a point of advocacy, and to offer you some solutions and offer you some suggestions, some pastoral guidance as to how you can find your way out of the wilderness of counterfeit Christianity and the toxicity that it brings into our life back in to genuine Christianity a, and, a, and a life in the Spirit that restores to you the experiential, existential voice of the Spirit in your life, which is, of course, the voice of your shepherd. So we're delighted to be doing this. We're very happy that you joined us today. And I want to just mention again that what we are dealing with, first of all, is the state of things as they are. Um, there's an old post-Reformation Latin phrase that says, Ecclesia Reformata Semper Reformanda. And what that means is the church reforming, always reforming. These, um, throughout church history, there have been those who recognize that the church must always be vigilant. The church must always be diligent in staying true to the faith, to staying true to the voice of our risen Lord in the church. 
And this means, of course, this implies that there are times when the church drifts away, when the church closes its ears to the voice of the shepherd, the voice of the risen Lord, the head of the church, and, and goes off on its own way. And, and while it maintains Christian symbols and they maintain Christian terminologies and they, and they have a, a clergy and they have all the trappings of Christianity, uh, ultimately, if they get too far out, you drift too far away, you get to a point where you really don't even have Christianity anymore. You have a, a form of godliness that denies the power thereof, as Paul states in 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. through 5. In fact, that's where we're at today. So we are back at that kind of a state. <clears throat> the church in Western Christianity has has drifted in, in recent decades especially that drift has escalated so it's really almost impossible these days to attend a local church and expect you're going to hear the gospel let alone hear it within its context its covenantal and eschatological context and um, hear a gospel that's transforming that saves that transforms that heals and makes you whole Instead, what you get is some perversion of the gospel, some form of entertainment, some form of opinion, some form of philosophy being passed off as the gospel. And if you're attending one of these churches, or that has been your experience in the past, then of course you're unhappy. And thank God for it. Thank God that you're not happy with the way things are presently in Western Christianity. I would say respectfully, if you are, there's probably something wrong with you, not with the person who's unhappy. And so if you're an unhappy Christian and you've had the courage to uh, realize that your unhappiness is tied directly to your Christian experience, which does take a lot of courage, by the way. I mean, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of social pressure, a lot of religious pressure to just buck up and live with the way things are. We are not encouraged to be Bereans, meaning that group of people who, uh, after Paul had preached, went home and, and opened their Bible, opened their scriptures, and, 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 and sought to find out whether or not what they were hearing from Paul was, was actually true within the scriptures. We don't have Bereans these days. We have compliers. We have people who comply with what they hear, and they don't question it. But that doesn't mean that they don't experience the effects of it. Now, spiritual depression is rampant in the church today. An abiding discontent with a lack of fulfillment that people feel from their Christian experience. They're sick of playing church, they're sick of being entertained, but they don't know what to do about it. Perhaps you've come from a religious tradition where you're into it second and third generation. And you feel very committed to that tradition. Maybe you're a leader. Maybe you're a pastor, an elder. And you know what's going on in your church is not good. But what are you to do? Well, that's why I say 
somebody has to start saying something. And I know that I'm not the lone voice here. I am not the voice in the wilderness. I am not a soloist. I'm a member of the choir. The good news is, is that there's a growing number of New Testament scholars, a growing number of active pastors, who are beginning to question the state of things and beginning to address it, both in the academy and the seminaries and and in uh, in their church studies. And so all I'm doing is adding my voice to a growing choir that's saying simply, quite frankly, Western Christendom is toxic. It has become toxic. It's so riddled with man-made systems and so weighed down with cultural um, similarities and 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 uh, shallow theology, if there's any at all, if there's any theology at all, so weighed down with an entertainment venue, so corrupted by greed and gain and, and, and lust and scandals, that Christ's sheep are really out wandering and wondering what comes next? What do they do? Where do they hear the voice of their shepherd? So, if that's you, if you're one of those that are out wandering and wandering, I'm really glad you've joined us. I've said in past episodes that we have to begin to see things as they are, not as we would have them. Because that's the beginning, that's the first step out of the wilderness and back into green pastures. As long as we're going to close our eyes and put our hands over our ears and pretend that what's happening is not happening, then there's not much hope for us. But may the God of grace and mercy and comfort give us also courage to take our hands off our ears, to open our eyes, and to see things as they truly are. Now, what I want to talk to you about today so I want to talk to you about the context for finding your way out of the wilderness and back into green pastures. The happiness of the Christian, and I've said this before, your happiness, your joy as a Christian is tied directly to being able to hear the voice of your shepherd. It's tied directly to your fellowship with the Father and the Son through the whole ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is what 1 John says. He said he was writing that your joy may be made full. And he was writing so that you might have fellowship with him, meaning the apostles. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. And so what I want to talk to you today is how to recover that intimate fellowship, the beginning process, the first steps in moving into and recovering that intimacy with the triune God. Now, there are two points in doing that. First of all, we have to acknowledge that Western Christianity, although it is Trinitarian, at least Orthodox Christianity, is Trinitarian. By practice, most of evangelicalism especially has become binitarian. 
meaning that we believe in the Father, we believe in the Son, we're just not certain what to do with the Holy Spirit. We have not been taught how to walk in the Spirit, which means we really have not been taught how to be Christians, how to walk as a Christian, how to live out life as a Christian. The Holy Spirit was given to us to empower us for that life so that we learn to walk and think and act just as Jesus uh, walked and thought and acted. The joy of the Christian life is about becoming like Jesus. And that's God's ultimate purpose for you, by the way. God's ultimate purpose and the primary work of the Holy Spirit in your life is to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the ultimate standard, God's perfect model for what it means to be human. That's why I say much of Western Christendom is dehumanizing. It's toxic to your humanity. Because if you're not hearing the voice of your shepherd, if you're not hearing the whole counsel of God, then you're suffering some form of spiritual deprivation. And the dehumanizing of our of ourselves of life is is um, begins with the compromising of our spiritual condition, and then it gets into our mental state and even into our physical state, not to mention our relational state. So much of our inability to form meaningful, healthy bonds with other people, even in the church is tied to this compromised spiritual condition. The, uh, the quadrant I've mentioned in the past of liberalism, charismatic, um, dispensationalism, and covenant theology, which then defines, those four systems define almost 98.9% of Christianity, in Western, or Protestant Christianity at least, then, and each one of those systems traffics in half-truths. I mean, liberalism, you can't even really call Christianity. They've so denied the, the basics of the Christian faith that you really can't call it Christianity. It's some kind of a religious philosophy, religious ideology uh, marketing itself as Christianity. So that's the state. That's, that's the way things are. And so the, the first step out of that wilderness is to recapture a Trinitarian faith. I know that sounds fundamental. I know that sounds elementary. I know that sounds almost too basic to mention. But it's true, folks. We have to recapture what it means to be a spirit-led person. A Christian is a spirit person. We begin our spiritual life because of a sovereign work of the Spirit in regenerating us. As we hear the gospel, the Spirit regenerates us, gives us the gift of faith. Our eyes are open to see in the gospel the glory and the wonder and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And we are moved to place our faith in him. And then as we believe, 
and we've read this in Ephesians chapter 1, as, as we've believed, we are then sealed by the Spirit for redemption, final redemption. And then he is empowering us as well. The Holy Spirit takes up residence within our lives to empower us to walk as Jesus walked, to think like he thought, to pray like he prayed, Abba, Father, to speak the truth into an ocean of lies, to be light and salt in the world, in a corrupt, putrid society. There's no greater honor, there's no higher and better good than becoming like Jesus. And as I said before, in Romans 8, 26 through 30, Paul talks about God's purposes. He's in very succinct terms. And the paramount purpose, <clears throat> excuse me, the paramount purpose of God in your life is to conform you into the image of his son. And everything that happens, this is the ultimate good for which God causes all things to work. You've heard that phrase many times. God causes all things to work together for good. Well, this is the ultimate good that God is causing all things to work together for. And that is to further the image of Christ in you. That's it. That's what God's up to. And let me tell you, to the degree that you're not experiencing, you're not experiencing pastoral and, and, and leadership care and, and, and those who facilitate that into your life, you're going to be unhappy because that's your source of happiness. That's your source of joy as a Christian is, is recognizing that you're becoming more like Jesus. So the first step in out of the wilderness and into joyful spirituality is to acknowledge the fact that you're not there. Is to acknowledge the fact that you're walking around in the wilderness. This is one of, one of the reasons why I've been so emphatic on acknowledging the state of things. That's why I've been so emphatic about recognizing that Western Christendom is, is toxic. And I'm not talking about cults. I'm not talking about some wild-eyed cult out there in the wilderness someplace. I'm talking about main, what appears to be mainstream, mainline evangelicalism. That's the sorry fact. So the first step out of the wilderness is to say, hey, I'm in the wilderness. I acknowledge it. And even if I have to leave my tradition, even if I have to say goodbye to my denomination, even if I have to um, say goodbye to my local church, I'm going to follow Jesus, and this church is not doing so. Some of you have experienced spiritual abuse. Some of you are still experiencing spiritual abuse. So we're at a time, and again, in Western history, where many of you were going to have to make a decision about where your devotion and your commitment lies. Is it to the truth that is in Christ or to the nonsense that's going on in the church that's so prevalent these days? 
And if you're hungry for the truth, if you love the truth, in fact, in Thessalonians, Paul said you have to love the truth to be saved. And there, there are those who do not love the truth so that they can be saved. The truth has to be something you love. You have to have your simplicity of devotion to Jesus Christ first and foremost. And where you do not hear his voice, you are not obligated to continue. There. Take that. Write that down. <laughs> where you do not hear his voice. I don't care how much they call itself Christian. I mean, if you're not hearing his voice, guess what, folks? You are still hearing a voice. And it's not God. The enemy is a the enemy of your souls is a master counterfeiter. He is a master deceiver. And he has his own false Jesus that he promotes, his own spirit that he promotes, his own gospel that he promotes. And if you trust that discernment within you, if you trust that anointing in you that God has given you, you will recognize that that is not God you're hearing. That is not the spirit of God you're hearing. That's the spirit of the enemy. There's a religious spirit in the world that works overtime to counterfeit Christianity. So, that we're there. We have to move out of that. Okay, having said that, then, the next step is to recognize your absolute reliance upon the person and work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The absolute reliance upon the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have to renew your fellowship with the Spirit. Listen, if you are actually in Christ, if you are truly a Christian, the Spirit of God dwells within you. Romans 8, 9 says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, meaning the Holy Spirit, they are none of His. They are not even Christians. So absolutely essential to what it means to be a Christian is the work and person of the Holy Spirit in your life. That if that's not happening, if you do not possess that, then you are not a Christian. So it is the sine qua non. It is the absolute essential truth to being a Christian, that you have the indwelling presence of the Spirit in your life. And He has been given you to seal and to comfort and to strengthen and to empower you to live. And in this present age, now, I want to say real quickly that this requires that we understand that we don't just run off and start having subjective experiences. And the great error of most of charismania is that they place their subjective experience above and beyond the objective truth of the scripture. In fact, they take their, too often, they take their subjective experience and they impose it upon the scripture and twist the scripture to make it line up with their experience which is just the opposite of a healthy spirituality. So, we have to come out of the wilderness. We have to recognize our thirst. May the Lord give you a great thirst for a renewal of your fellowship with the Spirit in your life. 
And the way you can begin that is to return to the text of Scripture with its integrity and within its context. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, um, be patient now, because I'm going to introduce a few terms. The gospel of Jesus Christ comes to you and I within a covenantal and eschatological context. Now, I say those words in some circles, and people kind of gloss over. And it breaks my heart, because I'm not talking about some deep thing here. I'm talking about basic Christianity. That we approach the gospel, not in an abstract way, but the gospel, like every other narrative, has a context. And the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to you within a covenantal and an eschatological context. And it is absolutely essential that you understand that context. Because without it, you're just free to make the gospel say whatever you want it to say. And that's what's going on. That's what's going on within Protestantism and that quadrant I spoke of. People of men have come along and they have imposed on the scripture something they wanted to say. And then they say, hey, I've got the gospel for you. When it's really just their opinion. It's really just their system. Really, it's just their theory. And then when it doesn't bring wholeness and transformation into people's lives, uh, you're left to thinking that there's something wrong with you. So when I say covenantal, I mean that the Bible... Let me back up. Let me back up to, to help you understand. The great context of the scriptures is that God has an eternal plan. It is God's eternal plan to create for himself a humanity that is worthy of his presence. That is to say, humanity that is that reflects his character, his holiness, his glory. That was the purpose of the creation in the garden. Adam was created to reflect God's character into the world. Adam and Eve were given the sublime privilege of being God's image bearers. And with the fall, that image was shattered. That moral image was shattered so that they no longer bore the image, the moral image of God into the world. And even though their will and their intellect remained intact, that will and that intellect then became the servant of sin. So God's eternal purpose then became God's redemptive purpose as well. And the revelation of that redemptive purpose is a progressive revelation within Scripture through a series of covenants, first with Abraham, then with national Israel, the old law, and national Israel, and then the Davidic covenant. And all those covenants, all three of those covenants, those biblical covenants, and there are people who will add this covenant, that covenant, over. There. they'll make up covenants and add it, but don't listen to them. It's, it, it, there are three redemptive-oriented covenants. All you need to know. Don't make it harder than it is. 
the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, and the Davidic covenants all were fulfilled and are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ and his new covenant people. So that all these previous covenants are fulfilled in the new covenant. And the new covenant that Jesus consecrated with his own blood and the new creation that started at, at his resurrection. And the new covenant age that began on the day of Pentecost when, when the Spirit was poured out upon the people of God. Now, those events, the death and resurrection of Jesus, his ascension and the outpouring of the Spirit, meant a dramatic shift in the self-understanding of the early church. They suddenly realized that the future age, the future kingdom age, and the future new covenant age of the Spirit, the restoration of God's presence among his people, had already begun. Even simultaneously alongside of this present evil age. But that if you are in Christ, you belong to that age, the future age, being mobilized and worked out in the present day. So that we now live in a state of now and not yet. We are now saved and we will be saved. We are now been adopted by the Father into his household. Full adoption rights. And we will be realizing that in a fuller sense, in the fullness sense with the return of Christ. So we're living in an already and not yet state. But we are living in a, a new age, a new covenant age. And that new covenant age is the age of the Spirit. And that the law is no longer on tablets of stone, but written on your heart and your mind. And the mark, and this is the point, the mark of the people of God is no longer the Sabbath, is no longer the law, no longer circumcision, no longer dietary laws, no longer any form of the law. The old law was given during the, during the previous age to, to restrain sin and to instruct and point to Christ. And while Christ has come and this event has occurred, you now belong to the future age that's being been mobilized into the present time. And this present age is the, is the age of the Spirit. What marks out the people of God today is the presence of the Spirit. That's how important the person and work of the Holy Spirit is to the church and to your well-being. It is the chief sign of the people of God. It is not a steeple. It is not a church campus. It is not even the Bible. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, when I say that the first step out of the wilderness is to renew your understanding and, your, and develop your thirst 
for a greater intimacy in your hearing the voice of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. In fact, it is the presence of the Spirit in your life who is now the antidote to the flesh, no longer the law. Hebrew, I mean, excuse me, Galatians 5.16 But I say now walk in the Spirit and you shall not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Christians are spirit people and I will develop this more in the coming episodes. So stay with me. The point I'm making today is you must have this. You must understand that you are a spirit person. And it's your birthright, your spiritual birthright, which is brought about by the Holy Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, and not have the law reimposed upon you. So the presence of God dwells with you. You are the temple of God, and the church is the temple of God, gathered the locus of the um, presence of the living God in and amongst the pagan temples of our society. So how do you learn, real briefly, how do you learn to hear the voice of the Spirit? What's the most effective way to do that? And I'm gonna, and, and that, that context I just described to you, that covenantal and eschatological context, is the context, it's the frame, it's the pair of glasses that you put on to approach the scripture. Because without that framework, you will never understand the gospel and its full implications into your life. So we're going to have to pause here for today. But I will pick this up in the next episode. And don't let the words covenantal and eschatological scare you. I'm merely talking about the framework, the paradigm, the context through which we understand the gospel. The problem has been, folks, that men have come along and introduced alternative frameworks. Other than that which is prescribed in scripture itself. But there's such good work being done these days by men like Stephen Wellham and Peter Gentry. D.A. Carson and Thomas Schreiner and those who are in Gordon Fee did a tremendous amount of work on this to recover the true biblical covenantal and eschatological framework so we don't walk around with a bunch of half-truths we don't walk around with a bunch of compromised gospel trying to make it work in our life so let's pause there Take a breath. <laughs> Maybe get your pencil sharp and write down some of the things you've heard today. What I want for you is to enjoy your Christian faith. What I want for you is to return to your first love and do the first works that you did. What I want for you is to enjoy a joyful spirituality. And not just grind it out week after week. So we'll pick it up in the next episode. May the Lord bless you and strengthen you and comfort you in his presence. Until then. Amen.